There are two types of people in this world. Those that feed others and those that feed on others. Each and every one of you are going to have a perspective in this life. When you come to church, you're going to look at other people in one of two ways. Can I be a blessing to this person or is this person just here to bless me? You'll either be others-minded or just focused on yourself. Now, if you're focused on God, you're automatically going to be focused on others. But as, as you remember last week, if you were here, we were talking about Christianity is not just obeying a set of rules. It's not just doing what you're told or else. Because when you're told to just obey rules, sometimes it just gets really frustrating. Because you want to know why. When your parents say clean your room, you ask why? Why are you harping on the room? Why are you harping on me being home at 11 o'clock every single night? Because I said so. And you get mad because you just don't understand the reasoning behind it. And maybe you'll even say that. Mom, I would just like to know your reasoning behind why you're telling me to be home at 11 o'clock. That's all. I just want to know. Well, it's just because I said so. And it just gets you more mad. But as we learned last week, obedience without trust is being selfish. Because the only reason you're obeying is just so you can get something out of them. All right, I'll listen to you, mom and dad, because you don't want to be grounded. You're doing it out of your own self-interest. But obedience with trust is love. Obedience trusting someone means that, okay, regardless of your reasoning, I trust you. I trust that you have my best interests in mind. And you see, Jesus, when he came into this world, he did a lot of things that people didn't understand. The disciples are so confused. They're, they're following him, but he just do, does these things that are irrational sometimes. We're expecting you to come riding on a horse, and here you are on a donkey. You're supposed to be leading us into battle, and you're bringing peace. How are you supposed to win a war if you go up to another person and you're like, all right, uh, peace. Yes, let's, let's settle this matter. When you go into war, you're going to bring a sword. But he brought a staff. And he led us into green pastures. He said, I have not come to the world to condemn the world, but through me, I, that I would be able to save the world. He came to reach the lost so that they would be found. And here, what Jesus demonstrates for us is although he was a king, although he fulfilled that messianic prophecy, riding on a donkey, walking into Jerusalem, as it was prophesied, the savior of the world, the coming king, they said, Hosanna, save now. Although the king was coming, this king was very different than you'd expect. You see, there's something within all of us that wants to be praised, Wants to be worshipped in a sense. Maybe you don't like that word because it's Christianese. Worship. Ugh. Weird. Idols. Big statues. But all of us, the word worship, by the way, just means worth. Like giving worth to someone. All of us want to be esteemed. And that's what you're going to see in today's preaching. If you just go online and you're just looking for whoever is the best speaker. And you're like, well, that guy's awesome. Man, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. What's he talking about? Is he talking about God? 
Are you learning about God or are you learning about yourself? Because that's what today's preaching wants to do for you. And the Bible says there will come a time where people just want to hear what they want to hear. Whatever their itching ears want to hear, they're going to seek teachers that will tell them about themselves. Oh, you're great. You're awesome. You can do it. Anything you want to do, it's possible for you because you're special. Really? Is that, is that why we came to church? Because you see, the problem with this is if all the teaching is about you, you're going to come to the teaching for yourself, not for other people. And you're going to view everyone through the lens of yourself. Okay, here I am at church. Why isn't anyone talking to me? Why isn't anyone blessing me? Everyone wants to be valued. Everyone wants to be esteemed. And if there was anyone who is deserving of the value and esteem, it's Jesus. Yet, this king did something very different than what we would expect a king to do. You see, this king came to serve. He didn't come to feed on others, take advantage of others, but he came to feed others out of himself out of his life. He came to give us his very life. You know, in The Wizard of Oz, the cowardly lion sings this song. He says, If I were king of the forest, not queen, not duke, not prince, my regal robes of the forest would be satin, not cotton, not chintz. I'd command each thing, be it fish or fowl, with a wolf and a wolf and a royal growl. As I click my heel, all the trees would kneel, and the mountains bow and the bulls kowtow. And the sparrow would take wing if I, if I were king. Everyone wants to be appreciated. Everyone wants to be worshipped. Everyone automatically is a leader because everyone has followers on Vine, on Instagram, on Twitter. Who gets the most likes? Can I post something that people will appreciate? Will people say, great job, you have a great voice. Yeah, it's all about you. Or... Are you using your social media as a platform to talk about Jesus? People today look at you and say, well, they don't have much to say. In small groups even sometimes, they're like, oh, they're so quiet. In church, you'll be so quiet. I'll give you an opportunity to pray. I'll give you an opportunity to share something that's on your heart. And you'll be quiet. It's not because you have something, uh, you, you're in lack of something to say. It's not because you don't have anything to say What's the proof of that? What's the proof of what I'm saying? Because you post it all day long on social media. You're putting out messages all over the, t all over the place all the time. Yet, so let me ask you this. Is the purpose of posting to bless others or so that others would appreciate you? Do you post the verse because you want to bless others? Or do you post the verse because you want people to say, wow, so spiritual, so godly. And what's even scarier is that it's hard to tell the difference on who is a sheep and who is a wolf. Who's looking out for themselves and who's taking care of others. Interesting. But I'll admit, I am not without fault in this. You know, I'm the guy who had a quick check billboard. You know, look at my face. It looks nothing like me, but there it is. There's a part of us that's like, you feel good when people praise you and esteem you. But this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 25. 
The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. You see, a true king loves his servants. I'm watching some of these pastors, these hip pastors that have 103,000 followers on Instagram. And he's playing basketball with Justin Bieber. And he's, oh, look at me with, I'm with Jay-Z. Yeah, I'm hanging out with my friend Biebs right now. And I'm asking the question, okay, I can't judge the person, which is why I'm not naming him before you right now. But there's a lot of pastors out there that they're just, me and my friends, the famous people. Oh, just me and hanging out with Kim Kardashian. You know, they posted there and, and him and uh, the other guy. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. But what's the reason of posting these things? Is it so other people are, yeah, it's so, what a blessing. My pastor's hanging out with Kim Kardashian. That's awesome. Are we doing it so people esteem us? Or are we doing it so people esteem God? to be blessing. You see, us as youth leaders, our purpose isn't to be here to lord over you. The reason why I'm in this position is not so I can be like, what a great youth group I have. Look how many people I have. Isn't this great? I just want to make sure we have the most people so that everyone looks at me and says, wow, Alan's doing a great job. Look at that. He can teach really well too. That's awesome. Praise be to Alan. God forbid I ever get into that place that I'm looking out for my self-interest, that I'm feeding on people. I'm not praying for people. I'm praying on people. I would never want to come to that place. And if I do, I pray that God removes me and put someone else who will do the job better. Any of us youth leaders would say the same thing. We're not here to lord over you. We're here to serve you. The word minister means servant. We're here to be a blessing. I hate it when people say, I know you're really busy, so I, I'm sorry, but I have this question. I'm not too busy for you. That's the whole reason why I'm here. I'm here to serve you. My mom, I, just, <laughs> I put it on Instagram yesterday, but my mom was, has been worried about me because there's the whole condition with my heart and things going on with it. And so it's not a big deal. But anyway, so she's been concerned about me. She says, you need to stop running around. You need to take it easy. And it's because I'm always out hanging out with you guys or doing one thing or doing another. You know, and that's where I get my joy. It's by being with you guys. I'm not just saying that because I have to preach this message. I'm saying that because it's really, from the bottom of my heart, it's true. When a person's keeping me up till 1 o'clock in the morning because they're crying on the phone, it's not like it's my obligation, it's my job, and I'm watching the clock. I want to be there for you guys when someone's sick, when someone's hurting, when someone dies. Because you know what? I know what it's like to have no one to call. I know what it's like to feel all alone. And I, I don't want that to happen for you. And at the same time, I do know what it's like to have people around me that lifted me up when I was down. And I want to do that same thing for you guys. And you see, this is exactly what Jesus talks about in this chapter. As I have loved you, go and love other people. Have you ever been blessed by someone in your life? Be a blessing to other people. Don't lord over people. Don't be narcissistic. Don't be proud. Don't look on, on how many people can reach you and, and talk about you and bless you. 
We all need to be lifted up. There are times where you're going through some hard things and you need encouragement. I get that. But you're going to receive even more joy when you give to others. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And that's what keeps you out of sin too, by the way. If you flip over real quick at Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to show you one of the verses that really convicted me. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses... If you think about it, he never had to leave his place in Pharaoh's court. He could have went his entire life eating the delicacies of Egypt. Never been persecuted. Been risen up in, in power. But he said, my people are suffering. And there's no way I'm going to stay eating these delicacies, living my life as a king when my people are hurting. I'm going to go and I would rather be there suffering with the people because he saw the reward of Jesus was far greater than anything else. You see, Jesus himself came down, became a man and suffered for our sake because he looked to the reward. What was the reward? It was you. Jesus, by his blood, saw you and wanted to purchase you back. Because of that, can we really be all about Lifting ourselves up. When's my ministry coming? When's God going to see my calling and all the things that are happening with me? And when am I going to get the things that I want done? No. It's, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, as the psalmist said. I would rather be a bum on the street, but yet fulfilling God's call in my life than be a king in this world than be the president, than be someone of nobility or honor. It's, I'd rather suffer every single day than live in luxury and not be used greatly by God. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the very moment that he, he had to be crucified. In verse 2 it says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that... He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded. So let me just display the picture for you right now. So back in ancient times, it was customary that you would have right at anyone's house, you'd have a little basin to wash your feet because guess what? You got sandals on. Back in the day, you're walking on these dirt, dusty roads. Your feet got really stinky. And they get so stinky that the person, although they had great hospitality in those days, 
the servants were not required to wash the feet of the person walking in. In fact, it was not even required of some slaves. But the only people that would wash these feet would be slaves. But it wasn't even required of all of them. So you got some really stinky feet and you had to wash them yourself. So you always have a basin. But Jesus does something crazy here. He leaves, not just in the beginning when you enter, while they're sitting down eating, Jesus gets up, takes off his, his robes, takes the form of a slave. He puts on some slave clothes, in other words, and then gets down and begins washing the disciples' feet. Now you got to understand, this is outrageous to them in this culture. This is embarrassing. You're the king, you're the Messiah, you're the one we're following, and you're taking the position of a person who's a slave. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you doing this? This doesn't even make sense. You don't have to do this. But the Bible talks about, in Philippians 2, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. You see, there's an aspect of the Christian life that is so contradictory to the world and the way of, that the world thinks. And that is that Jesus, the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is to be praised, comes down and serves people, gives himself for us. You see, people in other religions don't get this at all. In Islam, they can't get how God would love people. You don't have a personal relationship with God? What are you talking about? Even the Jews were stumbled by this. What are you talking about personal relationship with God? To see God humble himself, even Calvinists, they can't believe that God would subject himself to the free will of people. So he must choose some people to be saved, choose other people to go to hell. Because why would God subject himself to your choice? Could it be possible that God would come down into this world and die on the cross and his death be a failure because no one chose him. See, that sounds ridiculous. But you see, it's in the very humility of Jesus that he is exalted. It's in the very character of Jesus saying, here I am. And even if you don't accept me, I'm still dying for you. And I'm still going to serve you. Get this point. Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet. Even Judas Iscariot. Even the one who would betray him. Could you possibly... If you had a close friend, a best friend even, you spent all of your time with this person, you love this person, as if they were your own brother or sister, but then they're going to turn on you. They're going to say some really nasty things. They're going to betray you like no one has ever betrayed you before. You see, when it's a close friend, that hurts more than anything else, worse than the wounds of an enemy. Yet... If you knew this close friend of yours was going to betray you, how would you react? Would you still love that person? Would you still care for that person? Would you still serve that person? This is what Jesus did in his foreknowledge. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, he still washed his feet. To the very end, he loved his disciples. This is who our God is. Verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, 
What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. What? What are you talking about? I should be washing your feet. If anything, why are you washing my feet? This is, this is inappropriate. But Jesus is saying, listen, if you're not going to take part in my humiliation, you won't have any part in my exaltation. If you're not willing to be humbled, you're not going to be exalted. You see, Jesus has to clean you. And some of us rely on our good works and the things that we do, and I'm a pretty good person, I think I can get to heaven. You first must be cleansed by God. Only Jesus can take away your sins. No one else will do. No one else can take off that grime. The things that you've built up in this world, the sin that you've committed, can only be forgiven uh, by the person that you've hurt. If you go and you punch your friend in the face, you feel really bad, and then you apologize to your dad, that doesn't make your friend feel better. If you've hurt God, you need to apologize to God. And he's the only one who can forgive your sins. Jesus needs to cleanse us. But then Peter gets really confused, and then he says later in verse, um, the other half of verse 8, uh, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. In other words, you won't be able to be saved if I'm not washing you. But verse 9, P Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. All right, give me a bath. Jesus said to him, that's creepy. No. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. You see, here he switches the analogy a little bit. At first, you need Jesus to clean you. No one else will do. Nothing else will help you. And then Simon Peter says, well, why don't you just clean all of me? But you see, he was already saved. The first cleansing is by God. But we need to continually, as we walk on this earth, we're going to build up some dirt. And that's what happened in ancient times. If you took a bath, you're, you're technically clean. But as, if you go outside, your feet are going to get, get dirty again. But it doesn't mean you have to take another bath again. That just means you have to clean your feet. And so as Christians, as we walk in this dirty world, we're foreigners. And we're going to be walking in the muck, in the mire, as we go and reach a lost world. Doesn't mean that you need to cleanse your whole body again. Doesn't mean you have to ask Jesus to come back into your heart. Oh no, I think Jesus left. I need to ask him to come back. But it means you need to allow the sanctifying power of Jesus to cleanse you once again. Doesn't mean that you never say sorry to God again. Like, well, I said sorry once, so that's it. No, but you continually allow yourself to be cleansed by his power and say, Lord, I know that you've already forgiven me, but I'm just sorry again. Would you show me what else is wrong with me? Would you take care of my feet? Whatever I've been collecting in this world. You ever like come home and you like start talking about something completely dirty? And you're just like, where did that even come from? You've been exposed to the world and you need to get it out. You need to be cleansed again. So as we walk into this world, we need to allow Jesus to continually cleanse us because we walk in a fallen world. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, this is something they never bargained for. They didn't sign up for this. They watched Jesus clean feet, something they would never do. And then Jesus says, well, since I did it, now you got to do it. A servant is not greater than his master. I'm your master. I'm going to tell you, as I've done to you, do it to other people. Ooh. Well, I get the part where Jesus serves us. Yes. Accepted salvation. I'm clean. That's awesome. And now I have to go and serve other people too? What? You know what? You know what's so scary about that? A lot of people have some really stinky feet. Can you imagine the disciples look on their faces and like, yeah, oh, oh, that guy's got athlete's foot. That smells. You ever smell just rancid feet? When I, you know, I go to a climbing gym, people don't put the foot powder, you don't wear socks for climbing shoes. It's some rancid feet. Times where like people take off their shoes and the entire gym smells like dirty, moldy cheese. And Jesus says, clean that guy's feet. Like, I want to do it. Crazy. Just get on my hands. Ew. Yuck. They need to clean themselves. But Jesus doesn't say, let them clean themselves. He says, go and wash others' feet. Now, he wasn't just being weird and saying, like, from this day forward, every church should have a, a foot cleaning ceremony. And just like you do communion, we'll also wash each other's feet. Isn't that great? Some churches do that. So I'm not completely knocking on them. I just think it's kind of, you know, out of context. What Jesus is saying, though, is as I have subjected myself to the lowliest position, the position of a slave, a bondservant, so should you do to other people. Even if that means they're dirty. As you see a brother or sister that's sinned, that's done some terrible things, you are to go to that person and bring them back. A brother or sister who's hurting, says, I can't believe I've done this. Oh my gosh, I feel just so guilty. I don't think I can ever come back to church. Jesus is saying, go and serve that person. Love that person. Make them feel welcome. Don't look at them when they walk through these doors and be like, oh, I can't believe that person's back. Where have you been? Go up to that person and give them a hug, no matter how bad they smell. Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And that's what he did for you. You know, I think it's funny when we talk about forgiveness. Because when we talk about forgiveness, a lot of people say, I forgive you, I'm just not friends with you anymore. I forgive you, but uh, I don't talk to that person anymore. But I, I forgive them because I'm a Christian, you know. And I just think, well, if you knew what they did to me, you wouldn't forgive them either. Well, I get that. But let's say, no matter how much this person has hurt you, and I'm sure that it's been really bad, and I know that there are terrible things that people do, let's say Jesus comes up to you and says, hey man, I forgive you of your sins. I'm just not going to be friends with you. How'd you feel about that? You see, forgiveness doesn't just mean, oh, well, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore, but we're friends. I forgive you by name. It means the action of stepping down on your knees putting yourself in a vulnerable position and washing that person's feet, even if it means you got to get your hands dirty. 
even if it means you get hurt again, because that's what Jesus did for you. His love is unconditional, meaning not but, I'll forgive if, it means I forgive no matter what you've done. So what has a person done to you? What has a person said to you? I understand that it's bad, but is it as bad as what you have done to God? And if you're saying no, maybe you have to have a heart check. You see, because God has called us, as we are his disciples, his followers, if God can subject himself to become a man, can't we, as men, reach other people and love other people? Continuing on, he says, if you know these things, blessed, oh, how happy are you if you do them. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Here he talks about a prophecy in which uh, the Bible talks about the Old Testament prophets talk about one day Judas. Doesn't call him by name, but says there will be a person who will persecute the Messiah. Will come and kick him. He who eats bread with me has lifted his heel against me, it says. But Jesus says, listen, even though you're going to see me be betrayed by this person, know that I'm in control. Even though this person is going to come and ruin everything. We're having this fun fellowship. We're hanging out. We're going and healing people. We're seeing people come to know God. This is great. There's going to be a person who ruins everything. But you know what? I'm in control. And by me telling you this beforehand will allow you to have peace when it happens. Jesus said the same thing to you. He said this in John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You know why he said that 2,000 years ago? So that you would have confidence in tomorrow that no matter what happens tomorrow, he can overcome. God is going to be with you no matter what happens because he has overcome the world. It happened 2,000 years ago. He died for your sins that long ago, and he loves you so very much. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who, who it is of whom he spoke. Jesus, it says, was troubled in spirit. He was disturbed. He was anxious. Because this person he had been with this entire three-year ministry, this person he had called to be his disciple, this person who loved him and he loved too, was about to betray him. Can you imagine? These 12 disciples were a posse. They did everything together. You have your own cliques, which is good and bad sometimes. It's good because you have... A community and it's bad because you'll look at other communities and judge them and won't talk to them. But here were 12 people that did everything together. 
They hung out with each other. They had their own sleepovers. They hung out and ate and broke bread and healed people. They've been through so much in three years. And Jesus says, one of you is a traitor. Can you imagine, go to your group of friends today. I'm saying this facetiously, but go to your group of friends today and say, one of you is a traitor. Like, what? Best of friends, best friends forever. Take a picture and upload it. This was disturbing to Jesus because they were so close. And the disciples were confused too. What? One of us is a traitor? You see, it's the same thing here. Because you can have a close proximity to Jesus. You can have a close association with Jesus. And yet, not be about feeding other people. Not being about loving God. But being about yourself. Judas, although he was a money uh, keeper and he went around and he was on the outside, yeah, I'm giving, yeah, I'm praying, yeah, we're worshiping. Deep down inside, he was stealing the money. He was taking from the money box. He was looking out for his own self-interest. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's it. He sold himself cheap. He looked at Jesus. He knew Jesus better than any of us in this room. And yet, he rejected him and sold him out. How could you do such a thing? You ever look at your friends at this stage in your life, and you're watching them walk into sin. They've grown up in youth group. They've grown up in the church. And they've walked away. And you're wondering, well, how does that work? They've they were at that retreat. They're raising their hands. Their tears are coming down their eyes. And yet this person isn't walking with God anymore. How does that work? Where does that factor in? You see, only Jesus knows the heart. There might be a Judas amongst you. Or you might be a Judas. And you're not here to pray for people. You're here to pray on people. What can I get out of this person? How can this person raise me up? How can this person support me and what I'm doing? You got to be careful. Because the devil is looking. Jesus is looking for a heart that's going to be loyal to him. And the devil is looking for a heart that he can destroy. A heart that he can turn against God. And use to bring down the people of God. Well, if that person fell, then what's keeping me from falling? If that person was so strong in their walk and had the example then how do I know that I can trust anybody that's in church? This is what Satan loves to do, and this is why he entered the heart of Judas. And so Peter's all confused, and they're sitting at a table together. And back in this day, it was, it was awkward for us as Westerners to think about this, but they would actually lean on each other's chest, like when they're sitting around a table, and that's how they ate. So like, Literally, Jesus' head would be on someone else's chest and so on and so forth around a circle. Like, we don't get it. I don't understand. Don't try it. It's kind of weird for our culture. But in other cultures, they hold hands. Like, two guys will hold hands. It's not even uh, signifying anything. It's just a different culture. So here's Peter, really confused. And you know Peter's going to say something because he's just a loud mouth. But he doesn't want to be like, oh, who is it? Oh, wait. If I ask who it is, then we're all going to look at him. It's going to be awkward. So Peter motions to John. John, John. So John... The beloved disciple is leaning on Jesus' chest. So all he has to do, because you ever read this before? Because look at verse um, 
Where do we stop? Verse 25. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. So John leans back, and I've always read this before. I'm like, well, if Jesus just said, it's the person that I dip the bread in, in the wine with right now. He's like, all right. And like Judas is like, okay. And everyone just stares at him and just like, okay, it's Judas. Like, that never really made sense to me. It's like, well, if, why would Jesus say that out loud if everyone's going to watch him, like, dip the bread? I just wouldn't dip my bread. But John is in this intimate position right now, so he whispers to Jesus. And Jesus, in this, you know, close proximity, tells John secretly and then shows him who that traitor was, dipping the bread and then give it to Judas. That's exactly what happened. It was the last act of love that Jesus did before Judas completely gave himself over to Satan willingly. And so Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. And so the people got confused in verse 28, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this then. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. So even after Jesus said this, they're all still really confused. Like, well, maybe Jesus is saying, like, go out and buy more supplies because it's Passover. We're going to have a feast. It's great. Or maybe he's saying, take care of the poor, even though it's nighttime or whatever. They still didn't know it was Judas. They were still confused. Verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also Love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pay close, close attention to this right now. Because here's Judas being able to see everything that Jesus went through and still reject him. You see, some commentators actually believe that because Jesus dipped the bread with Judas, that Judas was actually at Jesus' left hand. Here was John on his right hand and on his left hand in the middle, uh, in the Near East. The left hand was your place of honor, not your right hand. So Judas Iscariot was at the place of honor and yet he was the betrayer. So Jesus tells them right before he's about to be delivered to be crucified. There's one thing that I'll tell you whether or not you're my disciple. If you're a person who's like, well, who, who can I trust? There might be a Judas everywhere. Everyone might be a Judas here. How, how can we trust anyone? How can I rely on leaders or anyone? Here's the test. If you have love for one another. But he says something interesting. He says, a new commandment I give to you. It doesn't sound that new. What makes that new? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Okay? So what's so new about this commandment? The new thing about this commandment is that you love one another 
just as Jesus has loved us. You see, Jesus becoming a bondservant, putting himself in that vulnerable position in the middle of the meal. Some of you are here right now and you're like, well, I love to serve people. I love to be there for other people and invest in other people. I just don't have any time. Jesus stopped what he was doing in the meal to go and wash the disciples' feet. We need to make sure that the most important thing about our life is following God. And by following God, that means loving other people too. That means sharing in what Jesus has already done for us. So it becomes a new commandment because he has given us that example. Before it was love the Lord your God. All right, that's a commandment. Do it. And I'm like, well, what did God ever do for me? Oh, wait. He died on the cross for my sins. It is paid in full. Never has to be remembered ever again. All the past, present, and future sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, though my sins were as scarlet, I am now washed as white as snow. Even though I cry, even though I'm afraid, there will be one day in which I will never cry ever again, and even the tears that I do cry will one day be wiped away. That is the promise that you, you and I have in God. And so Jesus says, now that I've done something for you, I ask that you do it for other people. You know why? Because I died for those people too. Even the people that will betray me. Even Judas Iscariot. It was not, I will love you unless you're Judas. It's I will love you even if you're Judas. Even if you're a person here and you'll never come to the knowledge of God. You'll never esteem his infinite value of knowing him as worth something. And you're willing to trade that for sex, for money, for drugs, for things of this world. And you're saying, you know what? I, I thank you, God, for coming to this world, dying for my sins, all that. It's not good enough because I like the things I'm doing now. Even if you did that, Jesus says, you know what? I still died for you. Just in case. I'm still going to give you that bread just in case. I'm still going to wash your feet just in case you change your mind. His arms are wide open. It's the devil who condemns you. It's the devil who says, you're too far gone. There's no turning back. There's no way anyone's going to accept you. You should never come back to church. That's the devil. Jesus says, there's still time. I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So how do you tell if you're that person? Are you feeding others or are you feeding on others? Are you loving other people as Jesus has loved you? Are you willing to subject yourself no matter if you don't have time, no matter if you're afraid or you feel incapable? It says it doesn't matter what I'm capable of doing or not. God is capable. I can do all things through him. And I'm going to go into this world as a vessel of honor. No matter what I'm filled with now, I know Lord, the Lord can empty me, make me a new creation, and fill me with his spirit. The question is, are you asking to be filled? Are you asking to be prepared? Lord, use me. I'm weak. I'm a wretch. I'm weird. But Lord, would you still use me anyway? If you're that person, you have that opportunity to go into this world, wash other people's feet, bring them back to church, and serve other people. Love one another. You know, sometimes we're so focused on serving, being other people outside the church, which is great. Yeah, we should go out and serve other people in third world countries. We should go reach people that aren't saved. Yes. But you know the Bible says to do good works to those that are in body of Christ first? 
Sometimes it's easy to, to think that you're doing things for God because you're avoiding all the people in the church and you're going out and blessing people that aren't Christians. But Jesus says, love each other. Your disciples, we're all in this together. He said that because he was about to leave. And if you've ever had like a group of friends where you're like, you're all mutual friends, but you're like, you have one kind of like ringleader. Like here's the person who like knows all of us and he's the guy, like we're all like friends because of that person. If that person stops being friends with you, it's kind of like, oh, well, do we still hang out with each other? I had that with like one of my closest friends I gained through another mutual friend that we had and he stopped hanging out with us and it was like the first hangout we had was kind of awkward. It was like, well, what do we talk about? Let's hang out because I have nothing to do on Friday night. And that's how we became friends. But Jesus understood this. And as he was the leader, he was about to be taken out of the world. He wanted to make sure that the disciples stuck together. And what was the thing that would bond them together? It's love. You see, because if your relationship, your friendship is built on anything else but the love of Christ, it will fail as soon as that thing fails. If it's sports, as soon as you stop playing the same sport, oh, well, I guess that's it. I don't. Really, I guess we should hang out, but I don't know what we're going to talk about. As soon as you stop going to the same school, oh, well, we were friends because we saw each other in math class, but now we don't, so I'm not going to talk to you anymore. But if your relationship is built on Jesus, it doesn't matter if you have nothing in common because you have Christ in common, and that's what holds you together. It's the love of Christ that keeps you together. And that's why Jesus said it, not only so they'd be unified, but so they would also glorify Jesus. And the Father through the Holy Spirit. So this is the new commandment he gives. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? You got to understand. Peter, although he was a loud mouth, he was often the person that spoke, he was genuine. And so Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. It seems kind of odd that Jesus called these disciples to follow him. Leave everything you have and follow me. And then there comes a point in time in which Jesus says, and I'm about to leave you guys and you can't follow me anymore. And Peter's like, well, what are we going to do now? Like, why can't I follow you? I'll, I'll lay down my life. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, why, why are you saying that I can't follow you? What do I have to give up? I will surrender whatever it is. This is Peter's heart. Is that your heart? You come to church and Jesus says, just surrender all and everything will be okay. Like, yeah, okay, here I am, surrender. Like, all right, you, you want to give all yourself to Jesus? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Just raise your hand. Oh, all right, here, here I am. What's holding me back? This is Peter. Okay, well, if there's something I have to do, why don't I just do it? Okay, you're saying I can't follow you, but I think I can. I'll die for you. But Jesus said to him in verse 38, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Ouch. Peter, you really think, you really think that you can follow me? If I'm Peter right now, I'm just like, oh my gosh, was this whole time he was saying one of you will betray me, he was talking about me? You know that's a safe place to be in? If you're that person, it's like, oh man, what if I'm a Judas? That is a good place to be in because that shows the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You don't want to hurt God. 
It's not just that you don't want to go to hell. Of course, that's one thing. Yeah, that's a big reason why you, you want to go to heaven. But even more than that, you're saying, Lord, I don't want to forsake you. Like we sang today, my heart is prone to wander. I feel it. Take my heart and seal it for your courts above. You sense that wandering. You're like, Lord, don't let me be a Judas. Don't let me be a person that hurts you and hurts everyone around me. Don't let me be that person. And this is Peter. And then Jesus tells him, listen, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Can you just imagine how, how hurtful that was for Peter? But you see, Peter thought it was all about his effort. He says, well, I just, I'll, I'll lay my, my life down for you then. I'll just give up everything. But Peter didn't understand. Jesus had to die so Peter could live. It wasn't about Peter's effort. It was about God's effort. It's not about you doing everything and having it in the right place and I need to make sure that I surrender all and if I don't surrender all, then Jesus won't use me at all. No. There is the coming with the heart of surrender. Yes, there is the being open, but if it doesn't come immediately, it's not because of your effort. It's because of God's timing. If you're saying, Lord, well, I don't know. Here I am. I'll lay down my life. Jesus knows if you're ready or not. Like, here was Peter. He was like, uh, I'll lay down my life. And just like, you're not ready. One day you will. Where I'm going, one day you'll follow, but not right now. You're not ready, Peter. I need to grow you first before you're ready to make that kind of commitment. But I appreciate that, and I'll honor that. And so if you're in that place of like, Lord, I, I want to be used by you. I want to be filled by your spirit. Okay, here I am. And nothing happens. All right, guys, let's pray a prayer. All right. All right, nothing happened. I pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I feel the same. Give it time because God honors your heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And if anyone lets him in, he'll come in and dine with you. doesn't matter who you are. It's just, are you willing? It's not about, well, I need to make sure that I was on my knees and fasting and praying for 24 hours. And then the next day, God will use me. You ever pray for something so hard? You pray for something for so long that you're just like on the verge of giving up? Like, I just prayed for so long for this person to get saved and it just doesn't seem to happen. God's timing. Have faith in him. Because what he's doing is for your sake. It's not about your effort. It's not about what you do. It's about committing yourself to his timing, to his life, and then he lives his life for you and serves you and asks you to love one another. So tonight, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now.